All aboard. Last call for boarding. One ticket out of here. Don't you want to know the train's going before you buy a ticket? I don't care. As long as it gets me out of here. I, I'm sick of these people in this place. Don't you want to know how much it's going to cost? I told you I don't care. As long as it gets me out of here, I'd give my life savings. Well, now, how much would you say is in that there uh, life savings of yours? I got $211.14 right here in this pocket. Well... In that case, the ticket is $211. For a train ticket? Well, this is the only train coming through these parts for a week. And uh, you look like you're in a little bit of a hurry now, aren't you? Fine! You want my 14 cents, too? Nah, I don't like the jingle in my pockets. There's your ticket, sir. This here is the train to nowhere, and it's always mighty full. Well, you can go on in and find yourself a seat. Now, I suggest you keep to yourself and don't talk to nobody. People on this train tend to be a bit touchy and uh, a bit trigger-happy, seeing as you don't have a gun. Forget all of you! I'm going to be so much happier where I'm going. That's what they all say when they get on board. But of course, they don't think about where they're going. Nowhere. All aboard! Here before I came to Wichita, I was making a call on a family in Fort Worth at a church where I was pastoring. And the guy that I was calling on, he and his, his family, this guy was running for sheriff in Tarrant County, Fort Worth. And um, he was a gun guy. I mean, he loved guns, which is not uncommon in Texas. A lot of guys love guns. A lot of people love guns because women love them too in my home state. But in any event, this guy had invited me over to his house and, and he, was a, he was a serious gun aficionado. So I'll tell you that for a reason. We were sitting in his living room. It was a long rectangular living room. I was sitting on the far side of the rectangle, and we were just sitting around talking, and all of a sudden, Stoney hopped up and said, Mark, I want to show you something. He said, I want to show you a gun I've been working on. And he brought out a, a 44 Magnum double-action revolver. And he said, listen, I've been filing this thing, and I've been smoothing out the action. He said, you can just pull the trigger on this double-action revolver. And he said, it's just smooth as silk. And then he swung out the cylinder, he dropped the cartridges in his hand, swung the cylinder close, handed me the gun and said, pull the trigger. Now, don't get ahead of me because I can see you know where this is going. I, didn't, I said, I don't want to. I said, I'll take your word for it. He said, no, you got to feel the action on this gun. 
So thankfully, you know, I mean, it wasn't a, it was a dumb thing to do, but thankfully, at least I've been taught how to handle guns to some extent. So I, I dropped, uh, dropped the barrel toward the bottom part of the wall and, and just smooth. And he was right, man. The trigger was smooth as silk, but that wasn't what was on anybody's minds. I don't know if you've ever fired a 44 Magnum before. Clint, you know, Dirty Harry says it's the most powerful handgun in the world. You know, powerful enough to blow a man's, was it, clean, head clean off? I can't remember the, the dialogue, but it is a big handgun. But if you've never fired one inside a house, you just haven't lived. <laughs> and we sat there in shock, staring at a hole in the, in the bottom of the wall. Nobody moved. And then all of a sudden we realized in terror that this couple had kids who were playing in the back of the house in the backyard. And it's like instantly we all jumped up and ran to the back of the house to make sure everything was okay. And thankfully, and I thank God for this so many times, it's hard for me to even think about the story because I think about all the bad things that could have happened. But thankfully nobody was hurt. But it was easy to follow the trail of the bullet. (laughs) Because it had ripped through walls. There was a, like a little uh, kid's desk, you know, with a little bench and a, and a chalkboard that flipped up. The bullet had sheared the arm off that desk that, that held the board, and it just fell over. The chalkboard fell over in the floor, and finally the bullet came to rest. You know, it hit a curtain and fell to the floor, and we found it. And even now, as I tell the story, my heart starts beating quickly because, you see, I, I mean, it's, it's just, you know, guns, and, and I, I, I'm not against guns. I like to hunt and everything, but guns can be dangerous. And, and, and I wasn't packing heat. Somebody handed me the gun, you know. But what I've learned in life is that there, there are people that are packing heat, maybe people that don't even like guns, but there are people in our world that I run into every day that are packing heat, and they're doing more danger they're doing more dangerous things than maybe somebody who's carrying a gun. And I'm talking about anger. Have you noticed that we're living in a very angry world? I mean, people just carry anger with them, and it comes out. I, I was um, looking, scrolling through TV programs several weeks back, and I came across this, this broadcast. I don't even remember the network, but it was, the show was called Going Postal. And I'm one who watches ESPN a lot and NFL Network. And, and those of you who watch that, you know they're always ranking stuff. Top 10 quarterbacks, top 10 games, top 10 comebacks, and they'll rank them and stuff. And so I kind of I like that kind of thing when I'm, watching, when I'm watching television. But this particular show, I mean, I had to t it because what they did was they ranked the top 15 episodes of people who went postal, who shot up workplaces, shot up schools, you know, and, and they started at number 15 and, and, and just ranked them down all the way. Number two was Columbine. Number one was West Virginia. I mean, it, it, uh, Virginia Tech. It, it, it was just awful. It was hard to watch. In fact, halfway through, I had to turn it off and just quit watching it because it was so painful to watch. But one thing that, that and, and, and they, were, they were talking oftentimes about the people who did the shootings. And what was interesting about it was that oftentimes the shooters, the people who went postal, looked like very ordinary people. You know, people around them couldn't, often they, they sort of had this saccharine smile and everybody thought oftentimes these, these kids were very polite. And, and, and so they seemed like very normal people. But what happened eventually is they went over the edge and began to harm at random innocent people, often people that they did not know. And I know what the prevailing thought is, and it's probably accurate. The prevailing thought is these are people with mental illness. These are people who are not right emotionally and mentally, they're unstable and somebody didn't catch them in time. 
I would buy into that, and I, and I do sort of buy into it to some extent. I would buy into that if it weren't for one thing. There was one universal in every story, and that was in every story, it was an angry person. It was a person who was angry on the inside. And here's, I don't know that much about mental illness. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not an expert in psychology. And when I listen to those who are, it seems to me that even they struggle with this. But here's what I do know. I know that no matter who you are, no matter what the state of your psychological and emotional health, I do know this. Anger will make it worse. Anger is a killer. And that's why I'm starting this series today called Pack and Heat. And I'm bringing today what I believe, I mean, if you'd caught me six months ago and you'd said, Mark, what is the most important message you will bring in 2008 without hesitating, I would have told you it's last train out. It's the message that I'm going to be bringing this weekend. In fact, Friday night, the night before I brought the message for the first time last night, I never went to sleep. I was just so pumped about this message. I could not get to sleep. I would try to lie in bed and then I'd jump up and I'd have to go write something else down. So I, I, I'm, I've been thinking about today's message for so long. I honestly believe if I fall flat on my face and do the worst job you ever heard me do delivering the message, I think the material that I have for you today is so big, you will walk out of here with some of the most important things you will have ever learned about anger. And I'll tell you why it's important to me. You know, I've always tried to be straight up with you guys. I always want you to know you're not following a perfect leader. Anger has been an issue for me all my life. I'm a type A personality. I don't suffer fools gladly. I'm an impatient person. I just want things done my way and when I want it done. That's all I ask of life. (laughs) And because of that, I've struggled with anger. But see, here's the deal. Because I've struggled with it, and thankfully God has helped me make a lot of progress in my life, I want to do something that's bigger than what our culture wants to do. If somebody has anger issues in our culture, we, we, we always want to take that person, finish this, finish this out for me. We want to put that person in anger management. I don't want to manage anger. I want to understand anger, and I want it out of my life. I know that somebody right now is crossing their arms, and you're saying, hmm, isn't some anger good? Now, I want to tell you, first of all, you got an anger problem. You wouldn't ask that question if you didn't have an anger problem. About 1% of it's good, 99% of it's bad. We're not even going to worry about the 1% that's good. We're going to drill down and we're going to talk about why we wrestle with anger. And here's the deal. When you walk out of here today, you will understand anger. Because today's message is called Last Train Out. Or in my mind for a long time, I've called it the cane train. Because we're going to study the life of the first person in the world that got angry. And we're going to see the stages that anger had in his life. If you open the Bible in Genesis chapter one, you read about creation. God created the world. Toward the end of the chapter, God created the first human being. Chapter two is a restatement of God's creation. In chapter three, things go south. First human beings in the world, Adam and Eve, they disobeyed God. God said, there's a piece of fruit. There's a fruit tree out there. Don't eat of that fruit because if you do, you're going to know the dark side. And God said, I don't want you to know the dark side. Through the years, people have made fun of the Bible because after all, how could it be so bad to pull a piece of fruit? Well, if you don't think that's bad, just stick around for chapter four because chapter four is a murder mystery. It will show how deep sin will take us. Chapter four is the story of the first homicide, a fratricide. It is the story of a guy named Cain. Adam and Eve have two sons. The oldest son is Cain. The younger son is Abel. And we're going to pick this up. And here's what we're going to see. I mean, you guys know, I'm I'm not telling you anything new that you don't know. 
By the end of the story, Cain is going to murder his brother Abel. That you knew before you came in here today, probably. But what you're going to see clearly is that Cain is like on a train. He's on an anger train. And there are going to be various stops. And there's going to be this running dialogue between God and Cain. And what God is trying to do, think about this. What God is trying to do is he is pleading with Cain to get off that train at that stop. Because what he's saying is, Cain, if you stay on this train, it's going to be disastrous. God is going to plead with Cain. There are going to be five stops. And we're going to see each one of these stops in Cain's anger train. So without any further ado, let's plunge right in and let's go to stop number one. What I'm about to show you is where anger starts. What's interesting about this is that we don't normally associate what I'm about to talk about with anger, but it's stop number one. Here we go. Verse three. When it was time for harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift. Now, I'm not talking about this this morning, but if God's, you know, here's, this is a principle from God's word. If God's been good, you worship God. At a time of harvest, you worship God. That's what you're doing this morning. You're worshiping God with your time, <clears throat> with your, with your, with your uh, worship, your singing. You'll worship God by listening to this message today. <clears throat> Many of us will worship God with what God has given to us, and we'll turn around and we'll give back to him in the offering today. That is just a principle. If God's been good to you, and he's been good to all of us, because it looks like most of us haven't missed any meals this week. <clears throat> When God blesses, when it's a time of harvest, you bring something to God. And so here's what happened. These two guys brought gifts to God. <clears throat> Cain <clears throat> brought some, some of the crops that he had grown. Abel brought one of the lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain, <clears throat> look at this, first mention. This made Cain very angry. That's the first time it's mentioned in the Bible. This made Cain very angry and dejected. That is a word for depressed. Now there's obviously stuff going on between chapter three and chapter four, because you know, as we read the end of chapter three, Adam and Eve have sinned against God. They don't have any children yet. Chapter four, they have kids. So obviously time has passed. These boys are probably at least teenagers, if not young adults. And very, very clearly, there had been a lot of seasons of harvest, and Cain knew what he was supposed to bring to God. God, from the very beginning, had established that where sin had taken place, life had to be given for death. And Abel knew that, and he brought a lamb and sacrificed it to God. But Cain evidently one year decided, I I think I know better than God. I have a better idea than God has. After all, I don't do livestock. I'm an agriculture guy. I grow vegetables. I grow fruits. So this time at harvest season, Cain decided that he knew better than God. And instead of bringing what God had asked him to bring, he was going to bring some vegetables and lay them out before God and say, God, here it is. Take it or leave it. And God left it. And God was not, he would not accept Cain's offering and Cain got angry. Could I ask you a question? At whom was Cain angry? I mean, eventually he will kill Abel, but do you see Abel doing anything? Do you see, you know, Abel saying, Cain, I saw you didn't get accepted. Too bad for you. Was he, was he, was he, was he dissing Cain for that? I don't see that at all. Cain was angry at God because God would not let Cain have his way. Now, guys, here is stop number one. This is so big. In fact, this is the most important thing I'm going to talk to you about today when it comes to anger because this is where anger starts. Stop number one is self, self. 
In fact, you can, you know, if you ever, a lot of you are new to the Christian faith and you've heard the term sin before and you're thinking that Christians have this big long list of sins and yes, indeed, there are a lot of things that are wrong, but here's all you need to understand about sin. Sin is self. That is sin. Repentance is turning from self to God's will. That's what it's all about. And, and the deal with Cain is Cain was saying, this is going to be about me. I don't, I don't raise lambs. I don't raise sheep. I grow vegetables. This is who I am. Here it is, God, take it or leave it. If I'm going to worship you, I'm going to worship you on my terms. Now, here's what you and I need to understand. In any sphere of our life, in any environment of your life and my life, where it's about me, I'm going to be angry. If it's about you, any area of your life, you're going to be angry. Let me start from a simple premise and we'll move deeper. Um, we're all familiar with road rage, right? I mean, we see it out here in Wichita, even as genteel as we are with our Midwestern manners. You're, you're smiling. Um, we see it here. I, 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 was coming, I was coming to the office the other day. To, actually, we went to a church service on Wednesday evening. And I was getting off on K96 right over here at 21st Street. And uh, there was like a line of cars. You know how it is. It, you know, it's it, at five o'clock, the line traffic goes all the way back up on K96. So people obviously have been waiting there for a while. And I was coming up to the stoplight and there were two vehicles in front of me. There was a middle-aged lady, a uh, well-tailored lady in a, in a minivan. And there was a guy in front of her, looked to be about my age, maybe a little older. And he was driving, it looked like a um, you know, nice car. And the traffic was such that, you know, people have been waiting there for a long time. And the light, you know, this guy was trying to make the light. He didn't quite make it. So he put on his brakes and the lady behind him in the minivan, she didn't, she didn't, I mean, she didn't even bump him. She just sort of nudged him. I mean, she was trying to stop to accommodate him, did not do any damage to his car. It was just a gentle little rocking bump, you know, And, and, and the deal was no damage was done. And yet this guy jumped out of his car And right there in front of God and everybody on K96, he started screaming at her. I mean, he lost it. He went postal. He went ballistic on her. And I mean, this poor lady was just sitting there. You know, she just held on to the steering wheel. And I mean, he screamed at her for about 90 seconds. And I started to kind of go around, but I thought, I think I better stay around just to make sure she's going to be okay. So finally, after he had like poured out all his rage on her, he walked back to where opened the door to his car and I thought everything was settled and then he slammed his door again and he came back for seconds he started screaming at her again and and I saw I drove past he, she did no damage didn't even scratch his bumper now what is the deal with road rage I, I, I don't do anything like that but I have talked to a driver or two they never they never heard me I was in my car my family heard me and, and I'm, words like stupid, you know, why didn't you go to driver's ed, things like that would come up in the car. Why do we get like that? Why do we yell at people on the road? Think about something for a moment. Think about this. If you ever are prone to have any kind of bad feelings toward other drivers, if you would get in your car in the morning and you would say things like this, you would say, God, thank you so much that you let me live today. This is a beautiful day in Kansas. And thank you that I have a car to drive in. Thank you that I can afford enough money to put $4 worth of gas in my car. (laughs) And God, I know I'm going to be out on the road today with a lot of people that are having problems and burdens and issues in their lives. And many of them don't know you and, and they're not in good marriages and stuff. And God, I just help me be a blessing to all the people on the road today. 
I guarantee you, you wouldn't have any road rage because here's the deal. It wouldn't be about you. The reason why we get angry on the road, it's about me. I got to be somewhere. I have to be there at a certain time. If I don't get there by that time, somebody's going to get mad at me. Somebody's going to feel badly about me. So here's what I have to do. I have to go out and I have to push my way through traffic. Now that's real simple. And it's, I'll grant you, it's not the biggest issue in the world. But I know people who have been to divorce court, nice people, and their marriages are broken apart. And you know why they broke apart? Anger. Because somebody went into the marriage and said, this is about me. This is about me. Mark it down. In any sphere, in any environment in your life, if it's about you, you're going to be angry. In fact, you can flip that. You can invert that. If you're angry in any sphere of your life, it's about you. And I'm talking about maybe there's a woman here today. And, and when you got married, man, it was the idea, I'm going to walk down the aisle in a white dress and I'm going to have a nice house and I'm going to have kids with straight teeth. And, and the whole deal is your husband was just a means to an end. And so consequently in your marriage, you know, what's the deal? There's anger. You're a toxic Sally. I mean, all, all throughout your relationship, you know, I'm angry, I'm angry, I'm angry, I'm angry. I just wanted to have, you know, and it was about you. And even when you had kids, it was about you. And, oh, I want to have a baby. But then the baby did something awful. He grew up to be a teenager. (laughs) And you're thinking, I can't cuddle this kid anymore. I don't even like him anymore. And I'm telling you, the reason why you're angry is what you don't want to admit is it's about you. I'm talking about a guy. You're angry at your wife all the time. She doesn't look good enough. You know, she's let herself go. And I don't know why. Here's the deal. When you got married, your wife was just a means to an end. You were just looking for a sex partner. I'm talking to somebody here today. You don't like your job. You hate your job. You don't like going to work. And and you say to yourself, here's how it comes out. It's just a paycheck. You know what that means? It means it's about you. Hey, life is tough. And if it's about me, I can tell you something. If it's about me, I can find many reasons to be angry. That is why the first guy who ever got angry that we know of got angry. It was about him. He brought what he wanted to bring. God didn't like it. Cain said, I'm out of here because it's about me. Stop two. Let's look. Take your Bible one more time. Verse Six, God now talking to Cain. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. So now Cain has gone past the first stop. He's mad. It was about Cain. It ain't going to change. It's still about Cain. And God comes along to Cain, and God's trying to get him to get off the train. And God says to Cain, Cain, why are you angry? Why are you depressed? Stop two is stubbornness. See, if it's about me and I get angry and I start losing it, if I'm not careful, I'll just go automatically to stop two, and I'm going to lock my anger in. And God said to Cain, please don't stay on the train. Why are you angry? Now, guys, you just read the the verse with me. Could I ask you a question? Did Cain answer that? 
Because see, here's the deal. If you and I will ever ask ourselves why we're angry, we can get off the train because we'll have to say, well, the reason why I'm really angry is it was about me and I'm losing it because I'm a selfish person. But Cain doesn't want to answer that question. He doesn't want to look down. I'm talking to some of us. In fact, I'm probably talking to many married people here today. I'm going to talk about an illustration. I'm going to bet you've been there if you've been married for a long time. You ever get into an argument with your wife or husband? And find yourself arguing about something that doesn't even matter? Have you ever found yourself arguing about stuff you didn't really even believe? But I mean, you're going to the mattresses for it. I mean, you're just angry as you can be. And and if if you ever ask yourself, why am I full of rage about something I don't even care about? It would go right back to stage one and would say, okay, I'm angry because I'm selfish. But what is it? We're not backing down. And we don't ask ourselves why. You know why? We're stubborn. We're stubborn. Guys, I really believe this is, this is where so often the worst kind of anger gets started. This is, the kind, this, is, this is the kind of emotional climate where anger tornadoes form. It's about me, and I'm not backing down, and I'm not even going to look and see what's caused me to be anger, angry. I'm feeling it, and I like how I feel. What did God say to Cain? Because God's trying to get him off the train now. God's saying, please, Cain, get off the train. Why are you angry? Why are you depressed? You don't need to feel this way. Please get off the Cain train. train." And and Cain's saying, I'm not going to do this. So God says this to Cain. Listen to God's language to Cain. God says to him, if you do right, everything's going to be fine. But if you don't, sin lies crouched at the door. Could I ask you the question, which sin? Anger. And we know where anger is going to take Cain. He's going to kill his brother. And God is saying to Cain, listen, sin, anger is lying crouched at the door. And then these words that are solid gold, and we really need to listen to them if we're ever going to understand anger. God said to Cain, it wants to control you, but you have to control it. That is how anger works in our lives. Either you will control it or it will manage you. And this is a real good time for me to stop right now and say, I'm not just talking about rage. Because all of us have anger issues. Some of us blow up like the guy that I talked about. Others of us, we hold it inside and we just turn toxic. Doesn't matter. Still the same anger. Anger is never your primary emotion. Whenever you're angry, whenever I'm angry, there's something that's kicking that anger off. Anger is always a secondary emotion. It may be frustration, which is one of my key issues. If I get frustrated, I can move to anger. It may be fear for some of you when you're afraid. I mean, I may be talking to parents here today, and you screamed at your kids and said things you never thought you would say because your kid did something that scared you. I mean, how many of us, when our kid brings home a report card, it's not a good grade, how many of us go ballistic and we're screaming at our kids, and really what it is, it's fear. We're afraid they're never going to fulfill their destiny, and we find ourselves saying things we can't believe we're saying. Anger is never a primary emotion. Therefore, it is not a smart emotion. Anger is a stupid emotion. Anger is a blind emotion. There is no intelligence to it. It is not really what's driving the train. It's something else that's driving the train. But what happens is, once we turn the train over to anger, it is driving. I mean, if you're going to leave your, if you if you have kids, 
If you're going to leave your kids with somebody, you wouldn't just open the phone book, put your finger down on a number and call that person and say, would you come over and watch my kids? If you're driving late at night and you don't feel like driving anymore, you don't stop by a bar and say, hey, anybody want to come out and drive my car? But when we turn ourselves over to anger, we're doing something worse than that. We're turning over our life, our, oftentimes our families, our relationships. We're turning over our lives to an emotion that's not smart. Why, why do you think we call it blind rage? Guys, if you went out here to El Dorado, you could interview prisoners out there all day long who never dreamed they would ever wind up in a place like that. You know, 99% of their lives has been non-criminal, but at some moment in an act of blind rage, they did something that blew their minds. For just a moment, they turned themselves over to an emotion that was dumb. And that's what God is saying. I mean, God is saying this to, the, to one of the first four people who ever lived. God is talking to you and me about anger, and God is saying this. Don't, get off the train right now. You, it was about you, but you can get off the train. And you must control anger. It's out there. It will destroy you. Either you control it or it controls you. And I'd like to say that Cain got off the train, but he didn't. He moved to stop three. <clears throat> Let's read it in verse 8. One day Cain suggested to his brother, <clears throat> let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Step three, stop three, is danger. Guys, I want to read this. It's just a simple statement, but I want to make sure I read this just like I wrote it. If I stay angry, I'm going to hurt someone. In fact, I want you to repeat that with me. I mean, that's just nobody here but us and the television cameras. All right, here we go. If I stay angry, I'm going to hurt someone. One more time, say it with me. If I stay angry, I'm going to hurt someone, and it will cost me. Now, I know something. Guys, I understand. who I know we're a suburban church. I don't think anybody here is going to go postal, shoot up any place. But we have to understand something. It's the same human principle. Anger and murder are on the same paint chip. You know where I got my authority for that? Jesus Christ. He was teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, and he said this. For instance, you've heard his statement. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But if you lust after a woman, you've committed adultery with her already. In your heart, what Jesus is saying is lust and adultery are on the same paint chip. Just lust is a lighter shade of adultery. Same shade, just lighter shade. Same color, lighter shade. In that same context, here's what Jesus said. He said, you've heard it said, thou shalt not kill. But he said, I tell you, if you're angry with your brother without a cause, you've already committed murder in your heart. See, anger and murder are on the same paint chip. Anger is just a lot of color. Now, most of us are never going to kill anybody. But here's what happens. If we go from stage one, it's about me, and I'm in an environment that's about me, and I'm angry. And then we go to stage two, and God is pleading, let's get off the train. You've got to control it, or it'll control you. And you're saying, I'm not even going to answer the question why I'm angry. I'm angry, and I feel good. And I've got a blind, foolish emotion controlling my life. I guarantee you the next step is we will do some kind of damage. Guys, I have talked to so many couples that were getting divorced and good people, people I like, people I'd love to live next door to, either the man or the woman, good people, many times Christians. But what happened was somebody got, it was about them, and then they wouldn't change. They got stubborn, and they wound up killing their marriage. I played golf one day with one of the richest men, certainly that I've ever known, 
hundreds of millions of dollars. And yet while we were playing golf, he told me that he hadn't spoken to his son for eight years. And he's a believer. We will do damage if we stay angry. I mean, I know there are people that just, you know, you never, you never lose it, but you just carry it with you. And you've got all these feelings bottled up inside about how you've been hurt. And you take them out, you know, and you, you, you caress them every once in a while. And you say, I, I never blow up on anybody. I never yell at anybody. I never scream at anybody. But you do damage. You do damage. Step four. Stage four. Verse nine. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, Where is your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. Am I my brother's keeper? This is one more. I mean, he's already killed his brother, but God is still pleading with him. God is still saying, Cain, you've killed your brother, but get off the train. Where is your brother Abel? This was Cain's opportunity to say, oh, God, I don't know what was the matter with me. It was all about me. I was so stupid, and then I was stubborn, and I wouldn't listen to you. And then I did damage, and I hurt my brother, and I'm so sorry, God. I don't know whatever punishment you have in mind for me. I'm checking in right now. But does Cain do that? And even though he's killed his brother, even though he's broken his parents' heart, he's killed an innocent man. Cain is saying, I don't know where he is. Am I my brother's keeper? Defensiveness. Defensiveness. Have you ever talked to someone, you ever been in a situation with somebody who does damage to everybody, but they have their reasons? <laughs> As you can imagine, I've just absorbed myself in cultural stories of anger. And, and one of the stories that I, I, I was looking at was the story of a woman who killed her husband in Houston. Both of them were dentists. She caught him cheating with another woman. And while he came out of a hotel room, she took her Mercedes and ran over him once. And then she made the circle and came back and got him again and ran over him a third time. And then she went and picked up his dying body and his crushed head in her lap. And here were her words to him. Look what you made me do to you. Do you know anybody like that? I mean, they're selfish, they're stubborn, they do damage to people, and whenever anybody calls them to account, well, I have my reasons. I'm justified. Guys, could I tell you something? When you and I get to that stage, the lights of our soul are nearly out. I'm talking to some of you, you've been in church, and you believe you're a Christian, but that is where you are. Could I tell you in the name of Jesus and with all the love in my heart, somehow, somehow, you totally missed who Jesus is and what he's about. There are people I've known who've even done damage in the name of God. They damage people, they damage churches, they damage relationships, and they have a reason for the damage that they do. But could I tell you, that's so far down the train, stops that when you get to that place, your lights are nearly out. God says, Cain, where's your brother? I don't know. He's not my problem. And now the fifth stop. See if this doesn't look familiar. I'm going to start in verse 10. But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you're cursed and banished from the ground. Now you're going to be a desperado. Now you're going to wander. 
You're you're cursed and banished from the ground which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you no matter how hard you work. From now on, you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. You guys ever watch any of these television shows where somebody's committed a crime and they're in the trial and they're waiting for the jury to come back and, and read the verdict? And you see them sit there at the table or stand there at the bench and you know their whole life is going to depend on the words that are spoken next? That's kind of an interesting moment. And that's where Cain is. It's step number five. He's standing waiting for God to pass sentence. If I'm God, I am nuking this guy right now. I'm killing him on the spot. There'll just be a brown spot where Cain used to be. And yet God comes along. Think about this. The man just killed his brother in a shed innocent blood. And God says, okay, Cain, here's the deal. You know, it was all about you. It was all about yourself and what you were able to grow. I've been making it easy for you to grow things. But from now on, it's not going to be easy to grow things. And you're going to have to wander throughout the earth. If I'm God, I'm saying, oh, Lord, thank you. I'm not even going to prison for life. Thank you. You're so merciful to me. Look at Cain's response. Cain said in verse 13, my punishment is too great for me to bear. Excuse me? You just killed your brother, and God's saying, okay, well, it's not going to be as easy to grow crops. You're going to have to wander for the rest of your life. And yet Cain is saying, I can't believe you're doing this to me. Victimhood. Stop five. Victimhood. I'm the victim. I did damage to other people, but I'm the hurting person. I'm the victim. Ladies and gentlemen, I dissected anger for you this morning. Not me. I mean, I just followed the scripture. But those are the five stops of anger. It starts with self. It goes to stubbornness. does damage. Defensiveness. Victimhood. That's the Cain train. That's the last train out. I don't know where I caught you today. But if I've caught anybody, it's stop five. Victimhood. Could I tell you, walk, don't walk, run to Jesus now. You're in so much danger. And see, here's why you don't believe you are. In your mind, victimhood is a passive thing. And after all, it's other people who have hurt you. Could I tell you, you're so far down the stops, if you're at victimhood right now, there's just a little flicker of light left. If you've gotten to victimhood today, run to Jesus now. Run to him now because victimhood is a lie. And let me just tell you something else. God doesn't want you to live that way. You say, well, Mark, you don't know the people who have hurt me. Do you want, that, you want those things listed on your tombstone? You want, you, 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 when you die, do you, I mean, it's going to take a lot of granite if you have that. But, I mean, when you die, do you want that? My teacher said this to me. The, you know, the policeman did this to me. My stepfather did this to me. My mother did this to me. My friends did this to me. And I've got all these reasons. Is that how you want to live your life? Because if you do, you're going to live angry. You're going to mess up marriages. You're going to mess up relationships with people. God doesn't want you to live that way. Run from victimhood. If you are a child of God, you're not a victim because the Bible says we're more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. You can overcome anything. You don't have to be a victim. Run from that right now. I mean, run to Jesus and say, Lord, the truth of the matter is, it was all about me. And I was stubborn and I hurt people. And I've had my reasons, but God, I'm losing those reasons today, and I'm coming to you. Now, if I caught you at step four, you're mad at me right now. <laughs> you're real mad at me. You don't like me. You don't like this church. You don't like the stupid shirt that I've got on this morning. <laughs> you don't like anything right now. 
You're mad at the person who brought you here. You're mad at the fact that you have to be here because after all, you got your reasons for being mad. Can I ask you a question? In fact, I know the answer to it. It's a rhetorical question. Let me go ahead and ask it anyway. Are you happy? You're not. You say, Mark, when I'm angry, I feel alive, but you're not. Because anger is a stupid emotion. The feeling's not true. Lose it. Hey, do you know, let me ask you a question today. For, for anybody who's mad at me and you're defensive right now and you got your reasons, you think this is a stupid sermon, could I just ask you a question? How many people in this room today do you think could give you some defenses for why they could be angry? How about 100%? I mean, here's the thing. You know, all of us have stimuli in our life that can, you know, make it easy to be angry. But remember this, and I know you're going to get tired of hearing me say this throughout the series. Nobody can make you mad. I have to choose to be mad. I caught some of you at stage, step three. And you're doing damage. And you know you're doing damage. Oh, you're not shooting up the post office. But it's, boy, I mean, when you, when, when you see your husband, man, you use your tongue like a machine gun. Or you're a guy and you just say, well, you know, that's just me. I just put people down. I'm just sarcastic by nature. No, you're an angry person doing damage. That's what you are. Stop. I mean, it matters. I mean, God is pleading with you. Get off the train. Stop doing damage to your marriage. Stop doing damage to your kids. Stop doing damage to your friends. Stop doing damage. Many of us, we're at step two. We're mad. We're not backing down. You say, Mark, and here's the word. Here's, here's the word that's going to be in your mind today. It's just a contraction. It's going to be the word but. But. And, and this is so much fun for me sometimes. Really not, but I'll just go ahead and say that. I'll, I'll bring a message like this, and someone will come to me and say, well, Aren't there some exceptions? I know what that means. That means I heard what God said, but, but. What did God say to Cain? Get off the train. It's going to control you or you're going to control it. Sin's lying at the door. Don't be stubborn. Now, I want to give you the percentage that I caught at number one, okay? 100%. Because with every single one of us, there are areas of our life, if we looked very hard, if we pulled back the covers and we blew out the desk, we would have to admit this part of my life is about me. How will I know those areas? Just spot the places where you're angry. Just spot the places where you're angry. If you spot those places, you'll know the areas that are about you. For the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about various parts of anger, how to cope in an angry world, and how to deal with the anger in us. i got to tell you, I cannot wait for this series. I've thought about it for a long time. We'll have some fun with the pack and heat theme and the Old West kind of thing, but at the end of the day, we're going to learn some things that can absolutely transform our lives, absolutely transform our kids if we train them in the right ways. This will be huge. I know it's summer. This series will be huge. I'm so glad you came today. I want to ask you to pray with me, please. Let's pray for each other while we're praying. Lord, help us to see ourselves. Lord, please don't let us be like Cain that just wouldn't get off the train. Help us to be right with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's keep praying. A few moments ago, I said that that sin is self. It's self-will. 
And repentance is turning from self and turning to God. I may be talking to somebody here today, and the truth of the matter is you've been in church for years, but you don't have a relationship with God. And the reason why you don't is because your life has all been about you. But I tell you what, if you would turn from that today and invite Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, he would transform your life. And if you've never really, truly invited Christ in, I want to give you a chance to do that right now because the Bible says salvation is a free gift. I'm going to pray a prayer. If you mean this from your heart, you can pray with me, and God will listen to you. Here we go. Lord Jesus, I've sinned. I've tried to live life on my own terms. I believe you died to pay for my sin. Forgive me. Save me. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, would you do something, please? You got a worship folder with a guy pointing a gun when you came in today? Would you put your name and address on that? Check the box that says, I prayed with you. I have a gift I want to give you. It's a packet of stuff. There's some DVDs in here. Just some stuff that I put together to help you know what it means to really know Christ as your Savior and follow him. I want to mail it to you. If you prayed with me to receive Christ, just detach that card, drop it in the offering plate, the boxes at the back doors, the bottom of the staircases. If you're like me and you're type A personality and you don't like to wait, you don't have to wait, just detach that card, bring this right back to guest services or New Spring Store right out through the middle there. They'll give you this. You can take it home with you today. We just want you to know Christ. This gift won't cost you a thing. I'm glad you're here this morning.